an age of silence, of doubt, of questioning promises. Yet something is stirring. Like a light in the darkness, hope arises. As the sun breaks through the night, a new day is upon us. The moment where everything changes. The birth of our Savior brings a thrill of hope. Hope of salvation. Hope of an eternal life with our eternal King, where all things are made new. All right. Trinity Church, how you doing? Good. I'm glad to hear it. From the back, you're doing great. Good news. Welcome to December. We're really grateful to get to be here with you today. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. And once again, can we just thank the worship team? What a great job they do in just helping us. Our whole hope on a Sunday morning is that you'd be preoccupied with God. And they just do a great job week in and week out helping get our mind and our heart there. And by the way, not only them, but I was thinking about, we have a team. Uh, it's not just elves who decorate this campus for Christmas. And they've done such a good job. Can we thank our decor team today? They did a great job getting us all set up all over the campus. So I'm grateful for them and their hard work uh, doing that. Well, it is great to be here with you today. We kick off a Christmas series called The Thrill of Hope. And I'm glad you're here to uh, start that off with us. Uh, if you look inside your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these if you want to get those out. While you're doing that, I want to welcome you here in the worship center. Welcome those of you shivering out in the pavilion. Glad you're here with us today, as well as those watching online. We're grateful that you're here uh, being a part of this Sunday service with us. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, if you want to be there where we'll start today. Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament, and we'll be right there at the beginning of chapter 1 in just a minute. Well, just one thought. We just finished a series on giving and generosity, and one of the things that kind of flowed out of that was an event that we did last Sunday called Equipping for Generosity, and at that event, we shared with those who attended that we're actually doing something we're really excited about, we've done before, called Financial Peace University. We'll begin that in January, and the whole thing, if you know the name Dave Ramsey, it's a course that he's put together. And the whole focus of it is dealing with debt, dealing with budgets, dealing with just being wise with stewardship. And so that's going to start during this hour, the 1045 service on January the 12th. If you want to get signed up, you can register online and that'll get you all good to go. And we're just excited about offering just another next step kind of out of that series and we'll start that off in the new year. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to begin this series, and I want you to go back. I want you to go, for those of you that are here that are maybe under the age of 10, you don't have to go back very far at all. But for the rest of us, go back to the childhood you, okay? And in the childhood you, think about the days and the weeks that led up to Christmas morning. Maybe in your family, it might have even been Christmas Eve night that you opened gifts. But whenever that gift opening time was... Think back to what it was like anticipating that, what it was like looking forward to what was going to come. And if you remember, it might have been snooping around in mom's um, uh, cabinets or places where she might have kept stuff trying to find out what was going on. For sure, once presents started getting around the tree, there was this deep anticipation of what was going to happen and what might have been there for you. The interesting thing is, is that people have been anticipating the promises of God for all time. We'll look at it today. We're going to start this series about hope going back to when hope was promised. 
And what we'll see today is that kind of anticipation actually should be ours year-round. But the problem is, is there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way, and a lot of times that we begin to think, I'm not quite sure God is going to keep his end. I don't know if the promises he's made to me are actually going to be the things that are going to happen. And sometimes we confuse God's promises to us with our expectations. We'll talk about that a little bit today as well. So we're going to begin from that. We're going to set the context a little bit for the day before Jesus arrived. What was going on in the hearts of the people who'd been promised a Messiah? And why were they maybe not eagerly anticipating looking for him like they should have been? And that's what we're going to dive into today. I hope this series, and by the way, we're going to talk about the subject over the next four weeks, this month of December, about a subject that is so absolutely crucial in our world today, and that is being a people of hope. Remember, hope is not just having an optimistic thought. I hope it's not going to be cold today. Well, you're wrong if you were hoping that. But instead, hope, biblical hope is having a sure confidence in what God has promised and believing him for it. That is the hope idea that we're talking about over this month. And so being a people of hope is so, so important and so appropriate for us as, his, as God's people. So we're going to dive in today. Here's our uh, now what idea of what are we supposed to do with this uh, passage that we're looking at today? Where do we go? In your notes and on the screens, hope necessitates waiting. So wait well as you anticipate what God has promised you. Hope necessitates waiting. Waiting is a part of the definition of hope. So therefore, wait well as you anticipate what God has promised you. Number one in your notes today, remind yourself often of the promises that God has made to you. Remind yourself often of the promises that God has made to you. You're in Romans chapter one. Paul is beginning the letter, introducing himself as the author. And real quickly, he goes to this in verse two. He says, the gospel he, talking about God, that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. So Paul begins his letter to the Romans talking about the fact, if you know the book of Romans, it's so much about, it's replete with what is the gospel and, and what am I supposed to do in response to it? He begins by saying the gospel was something God had promised from a long time ago in his word, in these scriptures, and it was all about a son that was going to become, that was going to be in the line of David. So that's where Paul even just begins this book, many of you know really well, and that's all the, the premise and the basis of it. So let's do that today. Let's go back in our minds. It was a promised gospel. What was it like to be in the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, awaiting Messiah? What was it like the day before Jesus arrived on the scene? Where was their hope? What was it in and what were they dealing with? And a way I wanted to help us with that is a great book that I would recommend. Once in a while, I recommend books to you. And if you're a parent of an elementary age child, I would highly recommend this because it's a great book called The, the Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. And I wanted to share with you not only the, the way he writes it, but even the art. And you'll see up on the screen uh, we put these pages up here so you could appreciate. So let me read a few pages out of this book as we start our time today. This was the setting into which Jesus arrived. It says, um, in the course of 400 years, God's people would go from top dog to dog food. They'd been kicked out of their promised land, just like Adam and Eve had been kicked out of their paradise. And worst of all, David's house and David's throne 
were no more. The future looked bleak, especially for the promises of God. Believe it or not, God's promises hadn't gone anywhere. In fact, God kept on making more promises all the time. God promised that the snake crusher, and you have to know in reading this book, that's how Kevin begins the story in Genesis 3, that God promised that someone would come and he would crush the head of the serpent who had ushered in not only temptation but sin into our world. And so that's how he refers to Messiah multiple times. We would come to know him as Jesus, as the snake crusher. So God had promised that the snake crusher, Abraham's child, Judah's lion, and David's son would come from Bethlehem. God promised he would be born of a virgin. God promised a messenger to prepare the way. God promised that the deliverer would die and live again and be a light to the nations. God promised lots of amazing things. But Israel was too busy disobeying God's commands and ignoring God's warnings to notice. God sent miraculous prophets like Elijah and Elisha and rebuking prophets like Amos and Malachi and sad prophets like Jeremiah and good news prophets like Isaiah. It didn't matter which ones God sent or how many, the people never listened, not for very long anyway. I've got more to you to read from that today, but that's where I want to stop at this point. And, and it sets the tone really well. This is the, the context into which Jesus arrived. It had been centuries where prophecies and promises had been building up to yet not see any of them related to Messiah come to pass. And what's important for us today is to even note what was promised to the people of Israel, meaning what was Messiah going to do when he arrived? Here were some of those things. It would be that the nations would be blessed because of him. God said that to Abraham back in Genesis 22. Out of your seed, out of your line, not only am I going to make a great nation, but from that, I'm going to send one who's going to be a blessing to the entire world. Also about Messiah, that he would be a prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18, that the people would listen to and would regard and respect. That Messiah would be the eternal king on Israel's throne from Isaiah chapter 9. And like we said a minute ago, greater than all of these, he would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent and all the trappings of sin that go along with him. That was from the very third chapter of your entire Bible in Genesis 3. That's when God makes that promise. We know that at least 15 Old Testament or former covenant prophecies were fulfilled just at Jesus' birth. Just at his arrival, it had nothing to do with even what he would do and what he would fulfill in his earthly ministry, just being born when and how he was. 15 of those covenantal promises were fulfilled. One of them that's fascinating is that the Old Testament had said where he would be born. You might remember this in Luke chapter 2, Magi from the east come, and they come to King Herod, and they said, we've come to celebrate the birth of the, the king of Israel. Now to Herod, that's a big deal because it's like, I'm the king of Israel. That's a coup. Like, I'm not having any kids today, so what on earth are you here for? And immediately he went to the religious leaders of the day, and he said, hey, where, they didn't even know, where's Messiah supposed to be born? And watch this. They said, oh, that's easy. Micah said in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's where he's supposed to be born. So process that for just a second. If Messiah, if people just knew without even having to think that Messiah was going to be born at Bethlehem, why weren't all the news trucks circling the city of Bethlehem? It was a small little village circling the city, lights on 24-7, waiting for Messiah to show up. 
Why wasn't CNN there? And the biggest reason why? That prophecy in Micah was given over 400 years before. So what happened in the meantime is that people gave up hope. People just assumed, I don't know if God's ever going to make good on what he's promised us. Because nobody's keeping their eye on Bethlehem to see what happens. So much so that we know the narrative when Jesus does arrive in Bethlehem, no one even knew he was coming. Though they absolutely should have. There were numerous prophecies and promises given to the people of Israel, specifically even how to wait. But it was over the course of these hundreds of years that God was fulfilling his promises one thing at a time, that during that time they gave up hope. Think of all the countless people that God had given these promises to that lived an entire lifetime wondering if Messiah was going to come during their lifetime. Think of the people, maybe the nation at its height would be so excited, everything, the table is set, Messiah must be coming now because he's going to usher us into even more. Or the time when Israel was at a lowly crawl and would have assumed, man, things can't get any more bleak. We need to deliver, where's Messiah? All of those highs and lows, those valleys and troughs, those are the things that they walked through and never got to see Messiah come during their time. So I want you to see as we begin this series today, the people of Israel were a people that were very rich with promises, but up to that time had nothing in their own thinking, nothing to show for it as of yet. That's the context of where Christmas begins in your Bible. What I want to do today, though, as well, is I want to set the context for where Christmas 2019 arrives in your life. In your life, what are the things that as you walked in the door today, I needed to do very little to prompt your thinking. As we started talking about hope, you began realizing, God, I don't know if this is something you're going to do. God, I don't know if you're going to fulfill this. God, I have what I think are very plausible expectations of what you might do, and I haven't seen you do them yet. What are the things when you walked in this door today that you have great hope for, but yet God hasn't as of yet delivered? In your Trinity this week, you have a green card that looks like this, and we're going to do something each week of this series, is we're going to give you an opportunity to process and interact with these themes Look at what the card says. It says, I am aware of my need for hope when. And there's no right or wrong answer to this card, but today, later in the service, I'm actually going to give you some space before you even go today just to consider how would you complete that sentence? What is the thing? What is the circumstance? What is the relationship for which your heart leaps the most for hope? God, above all things, I, I hope for X. I hope that this would work out. I hope that this relationship would be restored, whatever it may be. What is the thing that reminds you of your need for hope the most? Throughout the service today, there's going to be a time at the end, and what I'm going to encourage you to do is to just continue that sentence, and then we're going to do something really unique. During this series, we actually, if you notice on your way in today, on the south side of the auditorium of the worship center over here, we have these four big letters that spell hope. And you might have noticed from the first service, people went out and they took that same green card you have and they stuck it to that. And that's what we're going to do week over week is we're going to see those letters get continuously filled with our reactions to the things we're talking about related to hope. 
So I'd encourage you, when we even go to do this today, I'd love for you not only to write out what you would say in that sentence, but I'd love for you to take it out there at the end of the time today. When you, before you leave, I'd love for you to just take a stick pen. I would even encourage you, go one step beyond just being anonymous. Write your name, even just a first name. Write your name on that card. Now, by the way, they're going to be posted outside. So you have to know that people are going to walk around and read those. So you need to be cool with whatever you write out there. is isn't just between you and God, okay? It's between you and everyone else who walks out there. But I think already after walking out there after first service, it was powerful to see the types of things that people are groaning with hope for. And so I'd love for you to do that at the end of the service today and see that those four letters continue to get filled with our thoughts and our reactions over the course of the series. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him, I do want you to know that God has made promises to you as well. Our problem is, is that we'll often look in the Bible and every positive promise we find, we assume is meant for us. Some are meant for the nation of Israel. Some are meant for unique individuals. But I want to share some with you today that I absolutely believe are absolutely for every one of you. Everyone who's put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, these promises are for you. And I want you to help me today because I want you to read these passages aloud with me. Look up on the screen. First off, Jesus promises to give you wisdom when you ask for it. Read it with me from James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let's read it together. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Jesus promises to provide a way out of temptation. From 1 Corinthians 10, 13, read it with me. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Jesus promises that your salvation is secure when you are in him no matter what. Read it with me from John 10, 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I love this next one. Jesus promises to never leave you nor forsake you. From Hebrews 13, 5, read it with me. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus promises to finish the good work he has begun in you. From Philippians 1, 6, read it with me. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that day of Christ Jesus means that Jesus has also promised to come back for you. Read it with me from John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Can I just encourage you? I've just given you six or seven of these promises from scripture that relate to you. Can I remind you that if you would let this on a consistent basis flood your mind, these are the things that God has said are in my future. These are the things that even apply to my present. Let me be reminded of them. Let them wash over my mind in a way that keeps me um, just encouraged. God has extended these promises to me. He's not going to fail. Number two in your notes today, waiting is a necessary aspect of hope. Waiting is a necessary aspect of hope. 
you were in Romans 1, you can either turn there or just look at the screen. Later on in Romans 8, Paul is giving this huge understanding of how all of creation is groaning in anticipation of when God's people are going to be redeemed. And in the middle of that, he says these words from Romans 8, 24. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Just think about that for a second. Like, you would look at me in such an odd way, more odd than you're looking at me now, if I were to say to you, um, I really am just really trusting the Lord that I'm, and I'm hoping for the fact that I could hold this iPad in my hands. You'd be like, well, Todd, that's really odd because you are holding the iPad in your hands. That is not, hope is not needed. Hope is not necessary when you actually have it already realized. You get the point, but the interesting thing is, as silly as my example is, you already knew that, yet the things that you're still anticipating, trusting God for, it gets really hard to wait. Waiting is a necessary piece of the concept of hope. And that's what Paul told the Roman church. He said, hope isn't hope if you already have it. It's something you anticipate. It's something that you wait for as part of that reality. Really what you want most is not hope, but the realization of hope. Just think about that for a second. Hope encourages us. Hope continues to give us strength to keep moving forward. But at the end of the day, what you and I want most is the fulfillment of hope, not hope itself. We want to see when does this actually happen. So in the meantime, there is a reality not only of waiting, but of waiting well. I want to give you a math equation today. This is how it went for me. I was doing the math with my family in between services. It was seven years ago this last weekend. The math equation goes this way. Black Friday plus limited time sale plus a store that begins with the name Walmart <laughs> equals lots of frustration. Okay. This is how it went for us seven years ago. Seven years ago, Black Friday specials didn't happen two weeks before Black Friday. This is the new world we live in, right? So if you're young and you're here, you can't even believe this. You won't even believe my story, but it's true. So seven years ago, we see an ad that there's a couple, and, and the most important and necessary thing any family needs, right, are beach cruiser bicycles, right? The absolute essentials we needed that year. So at our Walmart nearby in town, they were going to have this sale that they had reduced the price of these beach cruiser bicycles. And it was my task, right? I was tasked with my son to go to this Walmart, stand in line and get these bikes. So we ended up showing up. I think literally it was going to start at 1201. That's how Black Friday used to work. I know you can't even imagine, but 1201. So we get there about 10 or so, getting this monster line, and I'm thinking in my head, they only have limited amount of these bikes. They're going to be gone before we even get there. We've just wasted our time. But we wait for the couple hours. It's freezing cold. We finally get into the store. They walk us back, like, well, what were you here for? Here for the bikes. Walk us back. The bikes are in the garden section, which is not happening in, think, in uh, November, so it's all cleared out and full of stuff. And we go, and there's, there's bikes, like, there's bikes that we were wanting. There had a few left. We grab them quickly. We're like, got big smiles on our faces. Yes, we've conquered, right? We were sent out, and now we're going to bring home these bikes. Well, shortly thereafter, we get the bikes. Then we get into this line. And I'm going to tell you, I am not, I am not, I, I conferred with my son. I'm not exaggerating when I say that for the next four hours, we inched 
every 10 minutes towards the checkout line. It took us a few minutes to get the bikes, but four hours to leave the store. Now, I got to tell you, all kinds of thoughts are going through my head at about hour two, right? Like, is anyone going to notice if I just walk out and throw some money and keep going? You know, I mean, what, what on earth is happening? And that's what our story was. We literally, it was after 4 a.m., we finally got out of the store and could begin driving home. And I just sat there and thought, no beach cruiser bicycle is ever worth that. So you, like me, you have had waiting experiences that have driven you nuts. And the reality is, is that in our limited experiences, those kinds of things are stories now I can kind of laugh at. It's still too painful, right? Seven years, it's not been long enough. But I can still laugh a little bit. But, but the reality is this, is that when you stop and think, though, Waiting four hours in line to buy a thing on sale is very li little in comparison to waiting 400 years for God's promises to be fulfilled. And that was just for the people in that time between Malachi and Matthew. Others had waited centuries before that. So the reality is, is that though I don't think we can totally relate to the people of God awaiting Messiah, we definitely have one thing in common that all human beings experience. It's in your notes. We hate to wait. That's just the bottom line. We absolutely hate to wait. And I will say this, maybe what's true of us more than any other culture, not that we hate to wait more than they do, but we actually have such high standards that it completely blows our minds that we should have to wait. We live in a culture that really just is all about championing speed and efficiency, and we think every part of our life should always experience that. So today, when you drive out of here, and if you go west towards uh, Ford Street, if you have to wait for more than one car before you get to get on the freeway or wherever you're going, you're going to be irritated. When you're out and about today, and your phone is not quick to get to a page you want to get to, it might take a whopping five seconds for that page to open, you're going to lose your mind. What on earth is wrong with this world? Right? When you go, you, you're at stores this last weekend, you'll be at stores between now and Christmas, your whole thing is, God, make them open up a line just for me when I walk forward and like I'm ready to purchase, I shouldn't have to wait. This is how we roll as a culture completely irritated that someone would make us wait for anything. Watch this. What does that translate to in our relationship with a God who's written in his book? Expect to wait. Expect to wait. That's going to be challenging because the Bible talks much about the fact that that is a part of this story that is a part of living in this reality, this side of what all of what God is going to do is waiting is essential. Hope is based on that premise. Part of it is, I think that we have a really skewed view of what waiting is in the first place. Look at some of these pictures. This is what we think of. When you hear the idea, you're going to have to go wait, that means go stand in a line with that sea of people. That's what we think. Or waiting means go sit on your hands somewhere. Just do nothing and just simply watch the clock tick, which is so funny because no one does that anymore. You just get out your phone. So no one really ever just sits and waits for anything anymore anyway. But the reality is, is that when we think of waiting, we think of it through all these negative lenses that it just has absolutely no value. It's only wasted time. 
But I want you to see this today. When we look not only at the promises of God, but we look at the God who has given them. When we look not only at the promises of God, but at the God who has given them, we find courage and patience to keep on keeping on. In your notes, because, of, because we know who we're waiting for, it changes how we live in the meantime. Because we know who we're waiting for, it changes how we live in the meantime. And I will just say categorically, if waiting is a real struggle for you, I'm just going to tell you, God has built into his systems, built into the way that things work on his timeline in such a way that it is a necessity. So I would say, let's work on already changing our perspective and our expectations to go waiting as a necessary part of hope. Man, if that's the one thing you walk away with today, I'm going to count that as a win. Finally, today in your notes, number three, wait well between the hope promise and its fulfillment. Wait well between the hope promised and its fulfillment. Finally today from Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36, look what it says up on the screen. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will, will receive what is promised. Author of Hebrews, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. You could basically say that's an incredible summary verse of the entire book of Hebrews. Hebrews is written to a group of believers scattered all over the world. They're struggling with waiting. Jesus has ascended to the Father. He said he's coming back for us. And in the meantime, we're waiting to enter. He uses all kinds of beautiful old covenant language, waiting to enter into the Sabbath rest of God. But what the author says is, but while you're waiting, yes, you're waiting, wait well. Wait well in the process. Persevere by doing the will of God, not just sitting on your hands. That phrase, the will of God, or what's God's will for my life, there was never a season that I have thought more about that issue or that question than at the end of high school and in college. That life stage to me was when that was always on the front of my mind. God, what is your will for my life? And it's fascinating now to have kids in that same age span, that life stage. Just two weeks ago, I had a really great conversation with Kendi, who's as a senior in high school, beginning to process what's next. And with Aaliyah, my daughter, who was home this week for Thanksgiving, we had a similar kind of conversation. And I want to say this, I affirmed right out of the gates when both of them talked to me about this, I affirmed first, I am really grateful you want to know what God's will for your life is rather than just doing your own thing. There are plenty of your peers that that's not a question they're interested in because it's like, I have a plan for my life. Thank you very much. I love that they're saying, God, I want to know, I want to walk in the steps you have for me. But that being said, Really what they're asking is, God, pull back the veil. God, I want to see what's on the other side. God, I want to know what you have next for me. So it's this really great tension of saying, yes, God, I believe you do have a plan. God, I do believe that you have a direction for my life. That's part of your sovereignty. I would just like to know it now, not just one step at a time. In that process, I believe the day before Jesus arrived, that's exactly what the people of Israel were also struggling with. God, when? God, are you actually going to make good on these prophecies and promises that you've made about Messiah? 
because we sure haven't seen it in our lifetime. And our ancestors and their ancestors, they haven't seen it either. When is this going to happen? And you have to understand for this group of people we're talking about, this is a group of people who had given up any hope that the kingdom of David was going to be anything. Like we read in the book, the temple is destroyed, the palace is destroyed, there's no king to sit on the throne. This is a group of people whose nation is being ruled by a dominant nation who's literally ruling the world at that time, the nation of Rome, the empire of Rome. And so just thinking that God has a plan, God has some promise of Messiah to rule on a throne, we don't even have a throne for him to sit on. Talk about a lack of expectation now. Talk about a sense of how do we just keep food on the table? When we have Roman tax collectors that continue just to take so much away from us, I can't even provide for my family. These are the real life issues and why hope had diminished the day before Jesus arrived. Now, what's interesting is some of you are here today and your questions are not about, God, what's your will for my life related to those same questions high school and college students ask? Because they're asking questions like, God, what college should I go to or should I go to college? Should I get involved in a trade or a vocation? If I go to college, what should my major be? If I start dating, will this person be my spouse? What do I do after I graduate from college and I'm supposed to have my life figured out? What is that all about? All those big questions, they're living on this side of that reality. Some of you, many of you are here today on the other side. Guess what? You know where you went to college. You got the piece of paper on your wall. You know what your major was. You know what your vocation or trade is. You know who you married. And you think you know what is supposed to happen with the rest of your life now that you got it figured all out. But here's the reality. Maybe your issue isn't about having a patience to let God just kind of unfold it and pull back all that you need for each day, now your issue's on the other side where you're asking this question, God, back then I was full and ripe with potential, but I don't know how that's going to play out. You see, when we say that a 15-year-old is full of potential, that's awesome for a 15-year-old to hear. What's it mean when that person turns 45? You're full of potential. At some point, that turns a corner where you go, uh, I think the days are ticking away. I don't think potential is it anymore. Look in your notes. This is what I think we're challenged with on either side of that. What's God's will for my life question? Potential becomes synonymous with patience. That's where it goes in our lives is that potential becomes synonymous, meaning if I had all this potential and I had an idea of what God wanted for my life, but I'm not seeing it play out, I'm still in the same place of having to be patient, putting one obedient step in front of the next and letting him reveal it to me. This is how Peter wrote it, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. He's not slow. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter writes those words also to a scattered church, this group of people that were incredibly persecuted for their faith. And he's writing about the day of the Lord. He's writing about the return of Jesus. And he's saying, I know it seems like this is taking too long, especially to a persecuted people who say, even so, Lord, come quickly. But the reality is, is that as you are waiting, wait well. Because God is not slow. God is not behind the clock. 
His timetable is very different from yours. So as I wait for those promises, look at one of the things he says. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. So the reason why God is patient, the reason why Jesus didn't come back in 1900 was so that you could be born and you could have an... I was trying to catch the whole room. So if you're older than, what would that be, 120, I missed it, right? But, but if, if he came back before you ever showed up, there's no opportunity for you to come into this world, to have an opportunity to be redeemed and watch this, and to be a person of intentional influence with the people in your world who still have not yet come to Jesus. He's patient, waiting for them. That gives our hearts a little bit more to hold on to, to say, God, if you're doing this with purpose, then I can trust you and I can wait. What looks like to me, you're very slow and behind, you actually are purposeful in how you're doing it. I told you I wanted to read you one more page from my book today. This is what I've got for you as we kind of close out our time. You can take a look up at the screen. This is the very next page where we were reading. And so one day it happened, God, God stopped sending the prophets. No more warnings, no more direction, no more word from the Lord, only silence for 400 years. God had sent prophets, priests, and kings he started out with Adam and started over with Noah. He chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave Moses the law. He sent Israel judges. He raised up deliverers. He conquered enemies. He provided sacrifices. He lived among his people in a tent and in a temple. God gave them every opportunity and 10,000 chances, but still sin and the serpent seemed to be winning until all of a sudden they lost. I want you to come back in two weeks and we'll pick up the story from there. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who struggle with waiting. And that wouldn't be unique to people in general. I think every human being, we struggle with this idea of what should be in our timeline. And you tell us consistently, I'm not slow. Your expectations are off. And so I pray as we enter into this Christmas season... And we even consider not just the things that you had promised to people 2,000 years ago, but the things you promised to us today. Would we be a people who wait well? Would we be a people who keep our hope fixed upon you and your eternal plan rather than just in what is now and temporal? God, would you keep doing a work in us and letting us be a people who demonstrate and radiate hope? You may be here today and you would be the first to say, I don't have the hope you're talking about, Todd. I don't have that kind of hope that not only keeps me going, but really is attached to the person of Jesus and what he's done for me. And I want to tell you great news. There's no hoops to go through, no classes to attend, but it begins today when you say, hey, I admit that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I admit that I've lived life on my terms, not God's. I have a problem. Be as believe. Believe that Jesus is the answer to the problem. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died a sacrificial death. Believe that he was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available. See is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my hope, my trust, my confidence 
in you and what you've accomplished, not in me and how good I can be or how religious I can be, simply in what you've accomplished in my behalf. And as a result, I want to live my life following you. You can make that decision right here, right now, and I pray that you would, even before you get out of your chair today. Father, we love you. Thank you that you have not only promised us hope, but you've delivered. We can't wait for the rest of this series to find out more. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. I told you earlier about this card. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you space. Uh, I think one of the greatest gifts that someone can give us is time because you won't take it for yourself. So I'm going to give you some space this morning. I want you to get out the green card. If you don't have a pen, there's one in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to just finish that sentence. There's no right or wrong answer. It's your answer. And then when you're done, what I'd love for you to do at the end of this service is just go out these doors to this side of the worship center. I'd love for you to just take a stick pen and just stick that to one of those four letters and let's see this hope display grow over the course of our series together, all right?